Greetings from the Classic City. I am Jamie Cheek. This is A View from the Couch. I want to start the episode off a little bit differently today and take just a moment at the top to kind of tell you what's going on with the podcast and also some exciting things that are coming this fall. Uh, The summer has been a little quiet. As I've always said with the podcast, I don't want to record if I don't have a lot to say. And in this situation, uh, this summer with the, the Braves and how everything's been and just in reality, just how busy uh, my life has been over the last couple of months. I needed a little break, but there is nothing like the start of college football season to uh, to bust me out of the doldrums that have been going on this summer and really get me going. And that just means more content is going to be coming the way. Today starts season four of A View from the Couch, which is absolutely amazing. I want to thank everybody who's listened over the last three years. Um, we've got some exciting things happening on the podcast. And uh, outside of this feed, there are going to be some things happening this year that I want to tell you about. So uh, we're going to shift a little bit for a view from the couch when it comes to college football. The last couple years, I've really tried to talk a lot more about college football in general. Well, this year, I'm going to focus strictly on Georgia on this podcast. Now, you will still be able to hear what I think about college football in general if you check out armchair banters weekly college football preview show that we are going to be doing uh starting in just a few weeks we're we're in the planning stages now but hayden mcdaniel mitchell graham nathan dean and myself will be coming to you weekly to talk about the week that was and the week that is upcoming in college football i will make sure to get that feed out as uh as as widely as i possibly can once it is available but Since I'll be doing so much talking about college football in general on that show, this show is going to pivot and it's just going to be all dogs. So if you are a Georgia football fan, which most of the people who listen to this podcast are, uh, this is going to be fun. You're not going to have to listen to any ACC talk. You're not going to have to listen to any uh, Pac-12 after dark or Maction or anything else. It's going to be all dogs all the time. So I just wanted to kind of put that out there before we get started. Uh, today starts our new season. Today starts our summer series, which I'm going to be calling Saturday Afternoons in Athens. So every Saturday afternoon from now until the first game of the season, we will have a preview episode. We're going to start today, tell you in a minute what we're going to talk about. But each week we are going to do a deep dive into the 2021 Georgia football team, the season, and what we're doing today is we're talking about the state of the program. You have to start at the top. We're going to talk about Kirby Smart. We're going to talk about where Georgia is as a program, and we're going to talk about the dreaded expectations looking this program straight in the face this year. Again, thank you so much for listening. I really enjoy recording this every single week, and uh, I'm looking forward to this fall. If you've ever been in Sanford Stadium on a Saturday afternoon, there's the words that really wake the stadium up, that really start the pregame festivities. It's Saturday afternoon in Athens. And if you are a Georgia football fan and you know what I'm talking about, you probably just got chills up your spine the way I just did. Because there's nothing a Georgia fan can hear to get them going, to get them excited, to get them rolling more than it's Saturday afternoon in Athens. And today, on the first episode of Saturday Afternoon in Athens, 
we are going to talk about the state of the program. We are entering, it's us, it's insane to think about this, but we are entering year six of Kirby Smart. And over the first five seasons, let's just, let's talk some numbers. Kirby Smart is 52 and 14. That's a 74% win percentage uh, overall in his first five years. 32 and 9 in the SEC. He's 4 and 2 in bowl games slash the college football playoff. One SEC championship, three SEC East championships, a national title appearance in 2017 season, early 2018 calendar year. And in the first five years at Georgia, Kirby Smart has won the Rose Bowl, the Peach Bowl, and the Sugar Bowl. Now, I can say all that, and a lot of Georgia fans that would be listening to this would say, hey, he's doing pretty good. And then a lot of Georgia fans who might be listening to this might say, yeah, but. And the yeah, but is where I want to kind of go for just a few minutes. So the two comparisons that Kirby Smart will always have to deal with, and not that it bothers him at all. He doesn't care. He also doesn't listen to this. But if you know him, send him a, a text. I think he might listen. I think he might like it. Um, there's two guys that, that Kirby's always going to be compared to, Mark Rick and Nick Saban. And so I'm going to, I think, probably pretty thoroughly dismiss one of those here in just a moment. But let's start by talking about those comparisons and and just kind of what why it happens obviously the reason rick happens is because it is a one-to-one comparison a coordinator that came from the best program in the country at the time took the georgia job that i mean it it is a carbon copy one's offense one's defense but you cannot get any more one-to-one than that comparison mark rick uh versus kirby smart now the nick saban one is funny because to me I have said on this podcast, I did it at the end of last season to make it very, very clear. I believe Nick Saban is the greatest college football coach who has ever lived. He's better than Bear Bryant, Boshim Beckler, all those other old dudes, Newt Rockney, whatever. You know, he's better than all those guys. He is the best college football coach ever. And for fans of Alabama, you've gotten to enjoy uh being in this moment with him as your coach and if you're a fan of anybody other than Alabama you've had to endure the agony of dealing with that program that coach over these last 10 years now the the reason I say all that is to say that I am not going to in the next few seconds take anything away from Nick Saban I'm just going to make a very valid and common sense point that constantly gets overlooked by the fanatics of the Georgia Bulldogs If you compare the first five years of Kirby Smart to the first five years of Nick Saban, Kirby is monumentally better than Saban. Everybody wants to look at the finished product of Nick Saban, and even if you want to like loop in the LSU years, really what people want to do is they want to take 2007 to the current and that is what they think about when they think about Nick Saban. But the reality is Nick Saban was at Toledo before he was at Michigan State. He was at Michigan State, LSU, all Miami Dolphins before he was the head coach of Alabama. So in his first five years as a head coach, Nick Saban was 34, 24, and 1. Yep, that's a 
when we had ties. Can you believe that, people? We used to have ties. 34, 24, and 1. That is a win percentage of 57%. If you remember a moment ago, I told you Kirby's win percentage overall is 74%. There is no comparison between Kirby Smart and Nick Saban when you compare the first five years as a head coach. Now, there is also no comparison when you can compare modern-day Kirby Smart versus modern-day Nick Saban. But Kirby's not a finished product, and that's why I think that comparison, and, you know, and, and ESPN loves to do it. You know, Saban's never been beat by anybody that coaches or that, that coached for him. All those things are true, and it's interesting. You know, it's it's an interesting fact for sure. But I'm not sure how much it has to do with anything. Once we establish he's the best coach in ever, once we accept the fact that Alabama's still the best program in the country. How often do the best coach and the best program get beat by anybody? I mean, let alone people that used to work for him. So it's just a comparison that I would like to just do away with. You're never going to be able to do away with it because at the end of the day, current modern-day Saban is the standard. It's, I mean, he, it's, a, it's an, impossible, uh, an impossibly high standard, but it's still the standard. So... Kirby compared to Rick is what I really want to dig into because I think a lot of what we see now is about to change when we talk about that comparison. So, whereas Kirby is 52 and 14 in his first five seasons, Mark Rick 52 and 13. Um, you could decide that any game could be the extra game, but essentially what you have is that the national championship game in 2018, which was a loss to Alabama is the extra game for Kirby Smart. Uh, the national championship game was not an extra game, and I'm not that Rick ever made the national championship, but that game didn't exist. So that, that win in the Rose Bowl gave Kirby an extra game, and that is what that game ended up being. So whereas Kirby has won 74% of his games through the first five year, Mark Rick has won 75%. Now, the SEC comparison is a little off because the all-SEC schedule last year kind of screwed with the numbers a little bit, so we're just going to move on from that. Here's the key. Rick had two SEC titles in his first five years, in 2002 and 2005, um, whereas Kirby has one. Kirby has the national championship game appearance. Rick never got that far. Um Kirby has played in three SEC championship games through the first five years. Mark Rick also played in three SEC championship games. So the comparison is astonishingly astonishingly equal. It, it's amazing how the first five years of Rick and the first five years of uh, Kirby, how well those really line up. So... Why am I saying all this? And that's because I, I want to take you back for a moment to 2006. I was a student at the University of Georgia in 2006, so I remember this season very well. And, you know, if, if we can play remember just for a moment, in 2001, when Rick took over, David Green, David Pollock, all those guys were already here. There was actually a quarterback competition between David Green and a guy named Corey Phillips, never to be heard from again, um, and and and. Green won the job. Georgia kind of, you know, slugged through that first year under uh, Mark Rick the same way they did the first year under Kirby. That's just kind of how it happens sometimes with first-year head coaches. But then in year two, that's when it hit, just like it did for Kirby. 13-1, and one, the only loss on the season was to, to Florida. 
Um, won the SEC, didn't get to play for the national championship that year, but won the Sugar Bowl and was, you know, to this point, one of the greatest seasons uh, in, in Georgia football history and in modern Georgia football history in my lifetime, probably even to this day the second best season in Georgia football history. So much like Kirby has 2017 to, to hang his hat on, that was the peak for Rick. But 2002 was the peak for Rick. 2003, uh, Georgia gets upset by LSU in the SEC championship game. 2004, Georgia loses at home to Tennessee during the season to cost themselves the opportunity with a senior David Pollock and a senior David Green to go back to the SEC championship game. And then in 2005, with DJ Shockley, who was a Mark Rick recruit, his first recruit, um, you know, or first big name recruit uh, from that 2001 class, DJ Shockley, the senior, leads Georgia to the SEC championship by upsetting LSU in the SEC championship game. Now, I give you all that fee- that that kind of feedback because I think, or background, excuse me, because I think it's necessary to remember that period of Rick. You could not have told anyone in 2006, at the beginning of that season, you could not have told people that the best was behind us. We would not have believed you because Mark Richt was what Kirby Smart is today. He was untouchable. He was going to be the guy. He had shown we had had the progression. He had won multiple championships in the SEC. He had brought Georgia back to a place of prominence, a place that it had not been since the early 80s. Mark Richt was the guy. He was going to win a national championship. And you could not have convinced 20-year-old Jamie that that wasn't going to be the case. And then 2006. And I can tell you, in all honesty, while we thought at the moment there was it was just a setback, there was also a, wait, 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 what happened? Because in 2006, Georgia went 9-4. and four, and they were 4-4 four and four in the SEC. And it was an embarrassing 4-4 four and four because the teams that they lost to were Vanderbilt and Kentucky and not teams. I mean, you're not losing to Alabama. You're not losing. You know, they lost to Florida that year, but Florida was the eventual national champion. There was really no shame in that. But that 4-4 four and four was an ugly 4-4. Four and four. Tennessee was still Tennessee at that point. So Florida and Tennessee losing to those two teams, not necessarily, while, while disappointing, don't get me wrong, not necessarily the end of the world. But that 2006 team managed to lose to both Vanderbilt and Kentucky. That 2016 would have had a losing SEC record if it were not for an improbable upset at Auburn that year when Auburn was the number five team in the country and Georgia was not very good. Now, there's some interesting things about that 2006 year that I think line up a lot with 2020. It was a transition year at the quarterback position and multiple guys, Joe Tereshinsky III, uh, Matthew Stafford, and Joe Cox all started games. Does that sound familiar? Because that's what Georgia experienced last year, three different starting quarterbacks throughout the season. And then by the end of the 2006 season, Georgia had settled on uh, their quarterback, Matt Stafford, the number one recruit in the country, um, five-star guy, out of state. Sounds familiar? Maybe maybe sounds a little bit like JT Daniels. I mean, to transfer things a little bit different, but y- you get my point. In a transition year, 
Mark Richt went 9-4, and four, upset Virginia Tech in the Peach Bowl, and lost to Kentucky and lost to Vanderbilt last year. In what can only be described for Kirby Smart as a transition year, Georgia only lost two games. It was to Alabama, the eventual national champion, and to Florida, the hated rival. So I think depending on how you want to think about things and how you want to say things, it's just interesting how facts can be looked at from different points of view. And if you want to be negative about last year, you could say that Georgia lost to the two best teams that it played all year, and that would be true. But if you want to say that, okay, Georgia really lost to the national champion, who was undefeated, and lost to Florida in a game that, you know, the reality is Stetson Bennett was the quarterback in that football game. And when you see Georgia at the end of last season, if you don't wonder, hey, what would have JT Daniels done against Florida and Jacksonville, if if that doesn't go through your mind, I, I, I don't know what you're thinking about because to me that's the only question from last year is if he were healthy if Kirby would have pulled the trigger earlier yada 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 what could last year have been I don't think Georgia was good enough last year to win a national championship if they had beaten Alabama I don't think they you know in Tuscaloosa that night I don't think they come back and beat them again Alabama was just too good last year but the reality is that Florida game and that Florida loss as disappointing as it was I think there's a lot more question about what, you know, was Florida that much better than Georgia last year or did Georgia just not have its best players on the field? So we set all that up. I I talk about all that because where I want to pivot the podcast now, if we're going to take a quick break and we're going to come back and we're going to talk about 2021 and we're going to talk about the expectations because the expectations for 2021 are as high as they have ever been under Kirby Smart, and let's be honest, people, they're as high as they can possibly be, period. I said it after the G-Day episode, the reality for 2021 Georgia is that the expectations for the program are to be a contender for the national championship. Now, we will, over the course of the next few weeks, talk specifically about the different position groups, the strengths and, you know, per- perceived strengths and weaknesses of this team but where the program is and then what the expectations for this year are it has to be set up front they could not be any higher and a lot of the expectations and I think this is where you know folks that and 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 Jeremy Timmerman let me just go ahead and get this out of the way now and say this Jeremy Timmerman who's been on the show a couple times he has started his own podcast third and 15 you can find it on uh, Apple Podcasts, Spotify anywhere you listen to podcasts third and 15 if you just put it in there I did it just a couple of days ago you can subscribe you can catch him he did a, a a dive in on the implications of the college football playoff Uh, for his first episode, but Jeremy has the unfortunate reality for him is that he is a Clemson fan living in Macon, Georgia, and he is constantly berated by having to listen to what I believe is probably just the, the fringe element of the Georgia fan base. And now how big the fringe is, it's a pretty big fringe. But the reality is that every year I can remember, I have friends who are Georgia fans who say, this is the year. Now, what I always say is this could be the year. Because for a lot of 
time, since 2017, Georgia has had the talent to win at the highest level. Period. They haven't. And I've said on the podcast last year, and I'll continue to say, until Georgia wins the national championship, it is stupid to expect them to do it. It's just the reality. So, to say that Georgia, the expectation for this year is a national championship or bust, would be ridiculous, but fans are ridiculous. So, I think for a lot of Georgia fans, that is the expectation this year. Now, for me... I think the expectations are a lot more like, hey, back to Atlanta, win the East for sure. I mean, if Georgia manages to not win the East this year, this will be, in my opinion, the first complete and total disaster of a season under Kirby. I will not take that back. I don't care if Florida ends up being a lot better than I think they're going to be. I don't care. Georgia's the best team in the East by 25 miles, and it should not be close. So, the minimum expectation for this year is get to Atlanta. Now, the last time Georgia was in Atlanta against LSU, they got their doors blown off. So then expectation number two is get to get to Atlanta as one, be competitive, and win that game is two. And then expectation number three is make the playoff and contend for a national championship. So I think the team that Georgia has coming back is absolutely capable of doing everything that I just said. To expect it to say that it's national championship or bust would be insane, but fans are crazy. I think one of the reasons the expectations for Georgia are so high, most of it has to do with the other top programs in the country because you have new quarterbacks at Alabama, Ohio State, and Clemson. Georgia's main rival in the East, Florida, Lost everybody. They have a new quarterback. They have a new tight end. They have all new receivers. They've got questions across the offensive line. Uh, their defensive line should be pretty good. But uh, it's been a while since a defensive line won an SEC championship. Compound that with the fact that your next three biggest rivals in the SEC, Auburn, Tennessee, South Carolina, all have brand new coaches. Combine that with... The crossover game, the rotating crossover game from the West, you're not playing Alabama. You're not playing LSU. You're not playing a Texas A&M team that's supposed to be pretty good this year. You're playing Arkansas. And no offense to Sam Pittman and Arkansas, but they're not LSU or Arkansas or, uh, or, or A&M. Add on to that, you get to play Tech in a home game in Atlanta where Georgia has not lost to Tech in Atlanta in this millennium. So, a lot of the expectations center around the dogs. And that's where we'll spend most of our time over the next few weeks. But we have to acknowledge, nationally, locally, just in general, that a big piece of why Georgia is going to be expected to do so well this year is because of questions at other places. And three, four weeks into this season, we may know, hey, there's not so much. There, there were some questions, but now there's some answers. We know that Alabama is still going to be Alabama. And maybe they're not stacked like they were last year, but they're still good enough to win a national championship. I think most people know that the quarterback that's coming in at Clemson, he's not a scrub. He's going to be pretty good. Now, is he going to be as good as Trevor Lawrence? I, I don't think that's possible, 
But you don't have to be as good as Trevor Lawrence to still have that team contending, not just in the ACC, but nationally. There's nothing that has happened over the last five, six years at Ohio State to make you think that they're not going to be right there in the playoff picture. Who's their quarterback going to be? I don't care. It doesn't matter. Ryan Day's done it consistently. They've been good consistently. Oklahoma has been good consistently. So just because some of these other teams have questions and Georgia has, at least at this point, we think an answer at quarterback, it doesn't mean that that just naturally all those other guys are just going to go away. Those other teams have been recruiting at a very high level too. So the external reasons for thinking that Georgia has an opportunity are legitimate. I mean, it, it is something. You don't have returning starters you know, at quarterback for those premier programs. I think it matters a lot that Florida is going to take a significant step back this year. And we'll talk about that as we get closer to the season. But to say that Georgia is now the favorite or the number one, you know, that, that, that's a little bit much. Now, we are going to do a deep dive, but let's talk about what Georgia has going for it. Because right now you may be thinking, eh, this is a little bit of a downer. Let, let me explain the good things the dogs have. They do have a returning starting quarterback that looked absolutely excellent at the end of last year. JT Daniels has what we have been looking for since, honestly, since 2017 when we saw the peak of the Jake Fromm era. Georgia has the deepest backfield I can ever remember, which is saying something at Georgia. They might not have the top-end talent they like they did the year they had Gurley, but we've got five or six legitimate dudes that would be starting most places in the country. And our number five and number six would be starting a lot of places. Now, this is the one that may surprise you. I saw an article this week from Pro Football Focus that rated Georgia's wide receiving core as the number three unit in the country. Now, Pro Football Focus is just one way of looking at analytics, but it's a pretty legitimate analytical view of the players that are returning. Now, of course, a lot of those teams that we talked about, some of those best teams in the country, they lost a lot. Alabama in particular, they lost a lot of receivers. So there's other guys there that PFF doesn't have film on and can't grade out the way that they ultimately will be able to. But the narrative that you're going to hear going into this season is that Georgia's got some real issues at wide receiver. And I'll be honest with you, Georgia might not be elite at wide receiver, but they don't have issues, and there's a difference there. Georgia's going to feature only four- and five-star guys on the offensive line. Georgia's got Jordan Davis and Julian Rochester coming back on the defensive line. Multiple, multiple five-star linebackers, uh, not limited to Nolan Smith, N'Kobe Dean, Adam Anderson, all of which will be drafted uh, in next year's NFL draft. Georgia's got a lot of talent and multiple five-stars and a couple of transfers in the secondary to really shore up what could have been maybe a weakness on this team. Again, I don't think the secondary is going to be a strength, but it's not going to be a weakness. And this is something that most people haven't talked about yet, but you will hear about it throughout this season. Georgia has the best punter and kicker combination in the country. So the teams that Georgia competes with in the East – overall nationally and 
you know, then we have the the gift of getting to play Tech in Atlanta. There, a lot of that is rebuilding. There's a lot of questions on those teams. There's a lot of perceived answers on Georgia's teams. So what do the dogs need? They need what every national champion gets and what Georgia hasn't gotten since 1980. You need a little luck. And that's the intangible part of this that is frustrating for fans and ignored, in my opinion, too often by the analysts. You can be really, really good and not win because you need a little luck. Now, I'm going to go and do 30 seconds as bitter Georgia fan, but Tyler Simmons was onside. In a 13 to nothing game, Georgia blocked a kick, would have had the ball inside the Alabama 10-yard line. Georgia would have won a national championship in 2018. That That's just the reality. Georgia won, would have won that game. They didn't get the call. Tua came back. Georgia lost the game. There's no pretend UCF banner, you know, UCF-style banner going to be hung in Sanford Stadium. Georgia didn't win that game. They are not national champions. But that, to me, is the most tangible example in the Kirby era of you need a little luck, too. You can be really good. Sometimes being really good isn't good enough. So what Georgia needs this year is they need that little luck. They need that one thing to get over the top. Because the first one's the hardest one to get, and I have, I'm on record to saying this. If Kirby wins one, not just this year, but if he can win one, I will be absolutely blown away if he only wins one. Doing it, getting there, getting to the top of the mountain that first time is the biggest hill to climb. Getting back the way he recruits, once you have proof of concept with Georgia, the recruiting's only going to get better, folks. You got to get that one. Is this the year? Boy, I hope so. The reality when we look back is that 2006 defined Mark Richt because of his inability, listen to this, because of his inability to recruit at the same level as Jim Donnan. The players that made up that 2002 team and the foundational pieces of the 2003, 2004, and 2005 team, a lot of those guys were not Rick guys. And by the time, even though Stafford and Moreno and all of those guys were very good, and I'm not taking anything away from those guys, Rick did a great job of recruiting the top-end skill positions. Rick did a terrible job of defensive recruiting and offensive line recruiting. And because of that, over his time in Athens, the defense cost Georgia Year after year after year, the inability of the offensive line to dominate cost Georgia at least one national championship, and we lost a lot of games we shouldn't have lost because of that. In a lot of ways, I think Mark Rick was a a better in-game coach through his time at Georgia than Kirby Smart has shown himself to be, and Kirby Smart is a much better recruiter than Mark Rick ever was. So the question is, can Kirby get better at the coaching piece? Because I I genuinely believe, and a lot of fans might kind of gristle at this, but Kirby's made some very questionable decisions in-game, and no, I'm not just talking about the fake punt against Alabama in the 18 SEC title game. I'm not talking about that. Everybody points to that and says, oh, Georgia should have won that game. Georgia should have never been in that position. 
Jim Chaney's fat self cost Georgia a national championship and an SEC championship in 18 because he got too nervous in the second half to keep the foot on the gas. Now, did that directive come from Kirby? We will never know. Nobody's ever going to tell you the truth. So everybody that thinks Kirby's too conservative, and I'm in that group. I think Kirby has been too conservative offensively. But Georgia should have never been in a position to screw that call up at the end of that game. Georgia should not. That that shouldn't have been a game. Georgia blew Alabama out that day. All right, I'm calming down. Kirby has got to get better in game. That's the reality. He's got to get better at executing. There is something about Nick Saban, and this is, to me, the the attribute of Saban teams that you can't put your finger on, but it, it happens. Those guys just know they're going to win. And that confidence, and it's not even like self-confidence or cockiness. It's just like he's our coach, and he doesn't lose, which means we're going to win. And Georgia doesn't have that. The fan base, to Kirby, to the players, it always feels like we have to sneak it in. You know, it, it we need a break here or there. We kind of luck into it. We're not dominant. We don't just go out there, take people by the throat, crush them, sever their head from their bodies, and walk away. That's not Georgia. It has not been, and that is what we have to do this year. That's what this team has to do. The state of Georgia's program is very, very good. If you were to rank the programs in the country, Georgia's going to be solidly in the top ten, and depending on who you ask, Georgia might be in the top five. The problem is this. Very, very good is not good enough. With the talent that this team has, with the expectations that this season holds. Greatness is what is required. Now, I'm not saying it's got to be this year, but the reality is there is only one way for Georgia to achieve success long-term, and that's to finally win a national championship. It can be 21, 22, 23, but sometime in the next three or four years, Georgia has to win one. And it's not always going to be because it sets up so perfectly for you. This year sets up very advantageous for Georgia. When you talk about schedule, when you talk about all the external factors and a lot of the internal factors, this is a huge opportunity for Georgia. So what are the expectations? I've already laid those out. If you're one of the fans that think it's championship or bust, be careful. Because there's a lot of success that can happen between where we are now and a championship. But at the end of the day, I think what all Georgia fans understand is we have got to get one at some point. And ultimately, for Kirby Smart's time at Georgia to be looked on as a complete success and to meet expectations, he's going to have to win one. As I started this podcast saying, you could not have convinced me in 2006, even after a down year, you couldn't have convinced me that Mark Rick would have coached in Athens for 15 years and never won a national championship. So you can't convince me today that Kirby Smart is going to never win a national championship at Georgia. But we've seen it happen, folks. So will it be 2021? I don't know. 
But this, I do believe, since 2017, this is the best opportunity that Georgia had. This is a good opportunity. And there's a reason that the expectations are as high as they are. It's because this team is going to be very good. It's because Kirby has recruited at a level that expectations should be high. And ultimately, it's because a lot of the things that have to fall into place to get that first one have the opportunity to fall into place this year. Now, what does what has to happen? We have to we have to find that killer instinct. That's what has to happen. We'll talk about that. We're going to talk positionally through the next few weeks. We're going to dig deep. We're going to talk about a lot of names. But the context for this season cannot be overstated. I cannot say it enough. The expectations are as high as they possibly can be. So for the dogs, 2021, you should be excited. You should be ready. I am, if you can't tell, I am raring to go. I cannot wait to sit down and watch this team play Clemson. But sometimes it's the hope that kills you. Thank you so much for listening to this podcast. Thank you so much for listening to the podcast for the last few years. I really enjoy doing it. I really appreciate the folks that listen. Uh, we will be back for a, the next episode of Saturday Afternoon in Athens next week. I am Jamie Cheek. This has been A View from the Couch. Thank you so much for listening. Go dogs.